This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. The weather, right? I mean, come on. What's everybody talking about over the last 24 hours or so? It is a mess out there. And going to continue this way for the next little while with heavy rainfall warnings in effect. Uh, Is there going to be flooding this time? When's this going to let up? What's causing it? You look at weather maps right now. It's a little frightening to see these uh, systems that are coming in here. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Dave Phillips. Of course, David is senior climatologist with Environment Canada, and uh, he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Good morning, David. How are you doing today? Bill, I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me aboard your program. <laughs> well, we uh, we have flotation devices for everybody here at Hamilton, David. It's getting it's getting a little worrisome here. Yeah, I mean, it's been raining a long time. I mean, um, I was impressed this morning. I saw the, uh, we have, it looks like Hamilton's had more rain than any part of Ontario yeah. in this particular system. I mean, 44 millimeters of rain by 6 o'clock this morning, and, and that's half of what you probably would see. I mean, that's that's well than more than a, a month's worth of rain uh, in, in two days. Uh, and it's just been uh, like a broken record. Uh, we have seen uh, uh, new records established uh, since January the 1st, in terms of the total amount of rain, but particularly in the last five weeks, uh, uh, all of April uh, and, and May, my gosh, uh, uh, it's almost uh, two to three times the amount of rain that you normally would get. And, uh, and, and you know, a system just can't take it, and so no wonder it's leading to, uh, to kind of uh, flooding uh, issues. Not gully washer type uh, uh, intensities. I mean, we've seen that before in the Hamilton, Burlington, mm-hmm. Toronto area. But uh, it's just been almost monotonously boring. I mean, we, the Canadians, we like our weather to change. Well, it certainly hasn't been changing in the last uh, uh, month or so. It's just, uh, and the systems can't, can't take it. The ground is, is saturated. And, and even especially around the Hamilton area, you have another aspect of the fact that the Great Lakes are swollen. Lake Ontario is the highest it's been in, in I guess, 25 years. And so with some strong winds, and we're seeing winds today that could be gusting up to 40, that's going to uh, propel some higher waves along the co- along the shoreline, causing some beach erosion and maybe some inundation there. So, hey, weather's attacking us from every direction, but but this system, Bill, is huge. I mean, it's raining. Yeah, you're right, Dave. I saw the maps yeah. on it last night on the Weather Network, and it, it basically goes from South Mexico all the way up to Hudson's Bay. Well, exactly, and certainly in Canada. I mean, it's impressive to have raining in Windsor and uh, and Quebec City, and uh, and about to rain in Fredericton. But you're right, and some of the nasty weather that we've seen with tornadoes and deaths uh, in the United States. Hey, it's the same weather system. Fortunately for us, it, it's it's well more than a nuisance. It's for some people, it's causing real real grief with with flooding and basement flooding and people heading to shelter in some areas, Quebec and in the Ottawa Ottawa Valley. So it's just um, it's just almost as if, Bill, you know, sometimes I always say that, you know, we'd love normal weather. And sometimes, you know, you can get too much weather or too little weather. And uh, this one is clearly about too much weather. Uh, just, uh, as I say, day after day, the number of rain days is way up. Uh, and, um, and, and the numbers are, are quite impressive uh, uh, when, you, uh, when you look at the total amount of rain. As I say, not, uh, not intensely in, in two hours, not that kind of flooding, but it is more the fact that the system, the, the nature's green infrastructure and people's gray infrastructure, 
infrastructure just can't handle uh, the uh, the volume of rain that we've had over a long period of time. David, we've seen some uh, monster storms in the winter time, you know. And again, when you and I have talked about that and some of those Colorado lows, etc. And and they're intense, but they're usually over with in about eighteen or twenty four hours. Uh, it's, it's, it seems highly unusual to see a storm of this magnitude that's sticking around for this long. I mean, we've had rain before where, you, as you've told us, sometimes the system just kind of hangs around. This one's moving. It's just that large that it's going to take two or three days to clear out. That's right, Bill. And you raise a good point. I mean, I, I think if there's anything different about this, I mean, what? I mean, it's April showers. Now it's May showers. I mean, it's it's not something that we should, it's not like we're getting a typhoon in, in Hamilton or a sandstorms in Burlington. I mean, it's not that odd. Uh, it's it's uh, The rarity is the fact that these systems seem to be slowing down. They're mammoth, and when they, they don't hit and run, I always say, Bill, that, you know, the best thing about Canadian weather gets caught up in the westerlies, it, it hits you, and uh, within six hours it's moved on, mm-hmm. see, and the cleanup begins. Well, this one um, is just inching along. I mean, it's almost the kind of weather you see in, in Florida or in the Caribbean where those hurricanes just kind of uh, pirouette around and they just don't have any motion to them and they hang back and then they got double back and get you. Well, this one is almost as slow. I mean, it is, and it's huge. So therefore, from the beginning of the storm when it rained, just started at at 12 uh, noon yesterday, and, and my gosh, it'll be 12 noon probably tomorrow before it, 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 it eases up. I mean, that's just not something you see in this, uh, in this uh, country. So it's, it's, that's the different element to it. I, I think that's what surprised me about it. But we've seen other systems like that over the past few years. They just seem to be more lethargic. Uh, it's like an unwanted house guest. It just won't leave. And, uh, and that creates uh, weather because it has or, or impacts because it has more misery to share over a, of a longer period of time. And, and this is a, a different, as you mentioned, different animal altogether from the flooding that we had, in, especially in Dundas, a couple of weeks ago, I guess now. That was an intense thing, and, and obviously, we, you know, the capacity just, the ground couldn't hold it, the, the creek started to swell, etc. This is ongoing, and, and when the ground's already saturated like this, I guess there's really nowhere else for the water to go, is there? Well, that's right. You know, Bill, the, and, and this is typically the time of the year where you're dealing with, you know, the ground is pretty well uh, full. All the nooks and crannies have been filled with, with moisture. And, and so this is often a time when you, uh, we often talk about floods at this time of the year, maybe a little earlier from generally from snow melting or ice jamming in, in, uh, in certainly parts of eastern Canada. And we had that. And, um, and, and all of that uh, has helped to fill all of those uh, spaces, and then it's just been this relentless, prolonged uh, uh, rainfall that has just not eased up. And uh, and you know, I mean, uh, we often say in the middle of the summer, gee, just give us one day of rain, maybe uh, you know, an inch of rain Monday morning at three o'clock in the morning. It doesn't affect golfers; farmers are happy, and that would be a, a you know almost a, a utopia situation. But when you get it this much and this long, it just you you. You, even the infrastructure that we we have, which is considered good in, in uh, 
based on world standards. It just can't handle it. The other thing, Bill, is they're interesting. In cities like Hamilton, Toronto, and that, we've built up our infrastructure. You know, it's not like it was back in the 50s where you had more green space Mm -hmm. than than cemented in asphalt spaces. And so even in Hamilton, I mean, you could have a drought and a raindrop becomes a flood drop because it, of course, runs off because of the surface. The surface doesn't doesn't, uh, uh, absorb it. It doesn't percolate into it. So that, in in a way, that we're seeing that that's the new kind of, of impact from, from weather now. When it rains, it takes its toll because uh, nature just doesn't have the spaces to, uh, to drain off and, and slow that kind of flow. You mentioned that it may tail off a little bit by Saturday, uh, either afternoon or late afternoon or something. But, Dave, I'm seeing snow in the forecast oh, for Sunday. What's going on here? Come on. I mean, that is absolutely a shocker. I mean, in, in April we had warm rains. Yeah. And, 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 and coming up, I mean, we're seeing temperatures that could be like a dozen degrees colder than it should be at this time of the year. And uh, and I'm I'm not sure we're going to see if, if there are some some white flecks in the air. It's not going to be from cherry blossoms. It's going to be that that wet snow. It won't stick around. I'm I'm hoping you know, Bill. Last year in in May we had actually snow in the GTA in in mid May. I mean it was a shocker. But then we ended up with the warmest five or six months after that. So yeah. listen, I'll take this pain if, in <laughs> fact, it, it guarantees that we'll have a summer like we had last year. Yeah, but if I've learned anything, our conversations over the years, Dave, there are no guarantees. No, so. you're right, Bill. You've got that. You know, uh, uh, if you don't like what's out your front door, look out your back door. And that's typically the pattern. That isn't so bad. This one now, which has been rather like, like summer reruns, just day after day, week after week, and nothing is... Uh, 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 is is too exciting, or or and it gets kind of painful after a while. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on AM nine hundred CHML. Hamilton has seen more rain than anybody else in Ontario over the last uh, fourteen to sixteen hours, and that's going to have uh, a, a major impact, obviously, on our infrastructure, uh, wastewater, the drainage, etc. But uh, also on roads, etc. How's the city dealing with this? Well, let me bring Andrew Grice into the conversation. Andrew, of course, is the acting director for Hamilton Water here in the city of Hamilton. Andrew, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Good morning, Bill. How, uh, how are you guys dealing with something like this? When you know an event like this is coming, and it's coming, and it's coming, and it's coming, this must put immense pressure on, on the infrastructure. Ah, absolutely. I mean, the benefit we have with the technology today, we can see it coming. It does allow us a little bit of time to repair. So certainly crews have been out in the field the last couple of days making sure that all our infrastructure is ready to accept as, as much flow as possible. How does this impact uh, the water treatment plant uh, that's, that, uh, that course down in the north end of the city, in the northeast end of the city like this? So that when you, is, is it taxing it more than, than usual when you see an event like this? Uh, absolutely, and I was following along to your earlier conversation, and certainly last week's event when we saw that very heavy rain over a short period of time really puts a lot of stress on the wastewater plant. Um, a little bit more fortunate with the, with the event we're dealing with right now, um, certainly a steady rain, but a little bit more drawn out, um, not nearly the same uh, the same volume of rain falling in a short period of time. And luckily, our infrastructure is uh, much more uh, developed to handle you know thirty, forty mils of rain versus the versus the seventy mils of rain in a very short period of time. And when something like this is going on, and, and you're right in the middle of it right now, Andrew, do you identify hot spots? Are there certain parts of the city that are, are more prone to to perhaps flooding or backwashing or think of that nature than than others? 
Um, it's, that's a very hard thing to tell. It's, it's uh, you know, it changes with every storm. We're certainly watching and listening. We've got eyes and ears out in the field and certainly encouraging any residents, if they do experience problems, please phone in and let the city know so that we can react as soon as possible. But there's never any real one hot spot. It certainly, uh, it certainly changes uh, storm to storm. Well, and, and obviously I would near anywhere near waterways. I mean, obviously Sydenham Creek was a problem, and, and obviously Red Hill can be situations like this. Uh, and, and we do have circumstances like that where we've seen, uh, well, at least some, some ponding anyway that's going on on the roads. You mentioned you have eyes and ears out there on the roads right now, Andrew. Are you, are you, are you looking for situations like that? I, I'm sure you heard the story that the City of Toronto is considering closing the Don Valley Parkway later on today because obviously it's, it's, it's in a valley. And uh, there's a pretty good chance there's going to be some flooding on the road right now. Do we have? Are, are we prone to that sort of thing here too? Um, I mean, like again, we can't tell exactly what's going to come our way. I'm certainly a little outside of of my scope of work, but certainly Public Works as a whole will be monitoring the situation very closely today. And if we need to make any of those decisions, um, that will happen. Uh, from a wastewater perspective, uh, certainly we have uh, we have staff out in the field today again checking, making sure that. Uh, uh, any inlets or outlets are obstruction-free. We want to make sure we can promote that flow to go in its intended direction and, and where it needs to go. Um, we are expecting a little bit of a lull here coming up, which might give us a, a little bit of downtime uh, to get out there and, and do a very good visual inspection uh, when it's not, not pouring down rain on us uh, and then get ready for kind of that, that second tail coming in afterwards. Well, we noticed that even on our street uh, this morning. Uh, I mean, it was raining, but I mean, the stormwaters and, and you know, the, the, the sewer grates, et cetera. I mean, they, the, because of the volume of water that's coming around, you can get twigs and even some leftover leaves from last fall that are hanging around there, and that starts blocking. And, that, and you get flooding on the street, it wouldn't be a bad idea to just pull a rake out for a couple of seconds and move that stuff along so you've got a clear waterway there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have our crews out and everyone's taking a look and we're doing what we can. Um, it's a very large city. I uh, certainly appreciate any support we can get from our community. And, you know, if, if you do notice anything, certainly call the city. But uh, like you said, if it's, a, if it's a twig or something in the way, if, if you could kick it out of the way, that certainly goes a long way to help all your neighbors. We were talking with David Phillips from Environment Canada about this a little while ago, and I know you're certainly well aware of this, that with, with, there's more pavement, obviously, uh, more roadways, et cetera, and, and a lot more buildings, not as much green space to absorb this right now. Uh, and that can be problematic, but I mean, the city and other cities, I guess, at least Andrew, have have tried to mitigate some of that impact with uh, with some of the new developments and some of the new designs in in uh, in new subdivisions. Uh, they, I know just myself driving along Gulf Links Road this morning, the stormwater retention ponds. I think they're big enough right now that they qualify as two new Great Lakes here in the, in Ontario. But <laughs> but that means they're doing their job, right? Uh, absolutely, and certainly low-impact development is something that's on the radar for the city of Hamilton, much like other areas of Ontario or across the, across the country in North America. Um, it's an emerging technology. Uh, we're, we're, certainly, uh, we're certainly looking to move forward with that. It, uh, like you mentioned, we do have, a, with development, we certainly have a, a lot of hard services, but those hard services certainly can provide us some benefit if done properly. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Controversy in Niagara. The uh, Niagara Catholic District School Board has decided at the last minute to cancel performances of a play called Boys, Girls, and Other Mythical Creatures. Now, the play was slated to be performed for students uh, in grades 1 through 4, and has been, by the way, performed in other schools in that area over the last little while. But uh, a last-minute cancellation by the, uh, the Catholic Board there has the director and playwright of the St. Catharines Theatre, uh, confused to say the least. Her name is Jessica Carmichael. She published an open letter on the theater's website uh, saying that she did not receive a satisfactory or open conversation about why, over the course of 48 hours in the last week, the schools in question all developed scheduling conflicts. 
What a coincidence. Uh, the, with the plan presentation, of course, of the play, it's uh, about an eight-year-old uh, named Simon who feels boxed in by the restraints of gender. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the play itself and, and the uh, the intent of the play, but certainly the reaction to the play uh, has been rather swift from a, a number of different people, which I guess is somewhat surprising and somewhat disappointing to a lot of us. Joining us to talk about this is our good friend Theo Sellis, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works, and always a welcome guest on the Bill Keller Show. How are you doing this morning, Theo? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Top of the world. A little wet, but I'll, I'll survive. It's uh, you know, just part of the thing. It's springtime here. Uh, talk to us about your, your read on this story. I mean, I, I want to talk a little bit about the play itself and what it was going for, but it, I think this goes an awful lot towards some of the conversations we've had in the past, Theo, about acceptance and about uh, veiled uh, homophobia and a number of other things that I think may well be at play here. You're not buying that it's a coincidence that five um, Catholic schools have mysteriously developed conflicts. No, I mean, I know they can get really busy really fast, but, uh, I mean, after one of the board trustees, uh, who happened to be a priest, uh, saw the performance, all of a sudden these other schools uh, decided that they had conflicts. It's really it's really sad. You know, I, you know, I laugh about it because what else are you going to do at some point? Like, It's just so sad that this continues because... If the purpose of the play is to create awareness and some questioning and uh, overall acceptance, you would think these are the things that schools would really get behind. Uh, and well, and you know, some did. Some some schools did. Sure, and 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 acceptance in general, as a general principle, seems to be. I don't know, I always heard that's associated with Christian principles. So acceptance, making sure that people feel included and safe and. Uh, Everyone's loved equally and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's it's frustrating uh, that this continues to happen, you know. And 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 the response, the part of it that really bothers me, not just the ex- exclusion, the uh, you know the, sh- the the shutting down the play or not showing the play. I think what also bothers me a lot about it is is the type of response, the non-committal response. Like instead of just coming right out and saying no, this contravenes our values. Uh, it's like well, we've all had conflicts, and it seems like again that's sort of. Some, so there's such an anti-education way to go about things, you know, like education, I always thought schools were supposed to be about like an open discussion and being upfront and people being uncomfortable and then exploring why they're uncomfortable and having discussions about an open dialogue. And, and that's how people learn and develop critical thinking and all that kind of stuff. So even the response just seems to be at odds with what I would hope to happen uh, in an education sort of setting. Except... <laughs> Except that sounds wonderful when they talk about that in, in, in glorious terms and, in, you know, in, in vision statements and things like that, Theo. But, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 w- I was raised in, in a Catholic education system, uh, especially through elementary school. And, uh, and i got to tell you, uh, even when you're six, seven years old, I mean, you like to question. You're inquisitive. Uh, but in those days, uh, you weren't asked to question. You weren't asked to have dialogue. You were asked to basically memorize word for word yeah. the definitions of religious terms and religious mores and ideals and live by them and not question them at all, uh, which seems somewhat counterproductive to what you've just said. Yeah, that's the irony, right? So if the play is about questioning, you think that questioning would be a really you know, keen part or like a really big part of education because questioning is associated with curiosity. And how can you learn anything really without expressing curiosity? And it's, it's very difficult for me because I see the outcome of the, uh, of the not inviting curiosity and critical thinking and questioning because I honestly, half of the time, I'm sure half of the, what I spend doing in university is teaching 
students how to learn, how to be critical thinkers, as opposed to uh, them coming in and expecting me to fill them up with some information that they're supposed to memorize just long enough to regurgitate it back on the test, and then they can move forward and get the paper at the end. It's frustrating to see that this kind of thing isn't encouraged um, more, where people are going, yeah, this is a great thing. This is, like, really challenging. This, is, this play is actually about people questioning. We should, like, have great discussions about it rather than shutting it down and then, you know, hiding it under, well, conflicts. Let me, let me give this context for those that may not know the story. The play is, is called Boys, Girls, and Other Mythological Creatures. And, and according to the artistic director, Ms. Carsmichael, she says uh, the play is the central character is a, a boy by the name of Simon uh, who is inventing a fairy tale for a class assignment. That's, that's what the play is about. And in this play that he's, he's conjuring up, uh, he wants to be the princess, and, uh, which I guess makes some people feel uncomfortable, Theo. But as, as Ms. Carmichael went on to say, it's not about Simon's questioning. It's about whether the family surrounding Simon can accept their fears and find acceptance and continue to love nobody no matter what. It sounds to me as if everybody on that board should be watching this play as opposed to simply condemning it. Yeah, and wouldn't it be really cool to watch it and get a different and better insight into the lives of real people who have real struggles uh, so that you can better understand what's going on and help them. You know, it's not lost on me that in a larger context, this is happening at the same time as this Bill C-16 is being considered in front of Senate to extend uh, anti-discrimination protections to people who are uh, around issues of gender identity and gender expression, uh, transgendered. Mm -hmm. So... This, this is happening in a larger context where there's a consideration of a law which says it's going to state explicitly that there needs to be more of an understanding and acceptance and less discrimination. And in this, within this context, uh, you look at stories, and there's a story on the front page of the Toronto Star where a mother is talking about the experience of her two children, or one of them is a nine-year-old trans girl and her twin brother, and she talks about how her daughter is assaulted, her son was being held back from running for, for help, uh, older kids yanked down his sister's clothes to check out her genitalia. This is, so these are real stories. These are like real people. And what's, what's really frustrating about is when people hide behind ideology and discomfort and beliefs as opposed to really connecting to real human beings who are having these particular struggles, and this is their life. Like, what's more important? Real people with real struggles, real feelings, little girls, little boys who are really having a hard time isn't that more important? Isn't, this, isn't that more important than sticking by your rigid beliefs and ideologies that then prevents you from being able to have real empathy for people who are struggling and then might lead them to do, like, have a horrible, horrible existence, a horrible life, be suicidal, have all these mental health issues? What's more important, connecting with real people or holding on to positions? One of the uh, stories that uh, covered uh, th this particular scenario here, I, I can't remember which newspaper it was in, but I saw they actually put some of the Facebook posts up about some parents who'd, who'd been told about this play. Uh, I guess a couple of them had actually seen it. And, and here's, here's variations on the theme that you've been talking about to me for years here, Theo. Uh, some of them suggesting, well, it's about a boy that dresses up as a girl, and er, it dresses up, and, and if you do that, it makes you turn into a girl, makes you want to yeah. be gay. I mean, are we still there? Yeah, well, I mean, it's willful ignorance, you know, it's, and that's the frustrating part. I, and I've talked to you before that I, I've, I've really extensively read, gone through the sex ed curriculum to try to understand what people's issues might, people, what issues that people might have might be. And what I find frustrating is that 
you know, the majority of the time, it seems that the people who are protesting the loudest against it have never really read it and understood what it's really about. And don't no, but they've been the, they've been told by somebody else what it is, and they simply take that as 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 faith. Okay, yep, they don't like it, so I don't like it. Right. So instead of like like learning more about it and then getting more informed about the issues and understanding a little bit more about the dynamics and what actually happens with people and and a little bit more learning more about gender identity and how that happens versus the, you know what you're born with biologically like rather than informing yourself just you know just in a position and be passionate about it and uh, you know it's such a and this is where schools I think need to be leaders like they need to be leaders in teaching you know sort of rational logical debate, exploration of issues rather than shutting things down. The, the frustration I'm finding here is that, like I say, this is, to many people that are listening to our conversation right now, saying, well, this is old ground, but it, it's, it's, it's reviving these old stereotypes once again. And, and I know that in some people's minds, the, the Ontario government's uh, sex ed curriculum is controversial. I, I, I've read it as well, and I, I, I don't agree with that. I don't get that. But it seems as if they're using that that misinformation as the foundation for all of this stuff. And all boards of education are saying all the right stuff, Theo, Catholic and public, that we embrace this. And yes, we want to love everybody as they are. But for somebody who is going to a Catholic school and all of a sudden the Catholic board like this says, we don't want our kids seeing a play about this. What's that? What kind of message does that send to those kids? In other words, that stuff's wrong. That's bad. That's that's the inference here. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, actually that's kind of ironic because, you know, that's the message a lot of people end up having about sex itself. Like, you know, a lot of people were raised in environments where you don't talk about it. So, what do you, what do you, how do you think about things that you don't talk about? Well, you tend to start thinking that there might be something wrong about it, or immoral about it, or indecent about it. Something you should be ashamed of. Something you should feel dirty about. So, because it's you know, if we don't talk about it, then you have to hide it. And so then. If you really think about that in a larger picture, if people sort of see who they are as being some thing or some topic that can't be discussed, that's shut out, then they themselves end up feeling like they should start feeling about themselves, that there's something wrong with them, that there's something shameful about them, that there's something damaged about them, there's something not good about them. They, they, start, to, they start to feel like there's, some, there's something fundamentally not lovable or accepting, acceptable about themselves as people. Uh, they, they get that overtly through overt harassment, intimidation, and bullying, but there's also that absence of love and acceptance that can lead people to feel like, you know, there's something about them that isn't worth loving and being accepted, and it's like a horrible experience for people to have. But when are we going to get over this this misguided idea that it, that if we if we talk about transgender or LGBTQ rights, that that it's in, it, that it's encouraging people to to do that? It's going to turn them gay, which which is actually what one of the parents wrote. Yeah, uh, you know, it, you know, this is where you know people are going to be really upset about hearing this, and people are going to be upset about hearing this. But I I just think this is a this is why there's a really good argument from separating religion from from the state, from education. You know, you can't allow people's personal beliefs to impact actual critical thinking, facts, information, science, research. You can't just allow people to have as an equal voice. This is like anyone's opinion is of equal merit in an educational setting. Education should be based on logic, critical thinking, research, science, facts, information. It shouldn't be based on ideology. This is one of the reasons why 
um, it, there's a good argument for being able to say, look, you can have your personal beliefs, but they maybe should stay out of a classroom. You can have your own personal beliefs, if your churches, whatever it is, but we need to focus on education as opposed to education and personal belief are the same kind of thing. We, you know, when I teach at university, I can't just talk about my personal beliefs. I can't teach my personal beliefs. It has to be all research-based. So a lot of these opinions are not based on religion. I mean, are not based on research or logic or reason. They're just based on sort of feeling and a belief system. So where does this leave it? Where does this leave a young kid who's maybe a student in one of these schools uh, who may be questioning, who may have some 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 conflicting ideas. Uh, this this is sending, in my mind anyway, a pretty strong message. Well, don't go and talk to anybody in the school about it because they they just don't want to accept that that stuff even happens. They want to pretend that everybody's the same, and we're not all yeah. the same. Well, you know who. That's the cool thing about human experience is that you know being able to really explore and understand individual experience. It's such a much more interesting, more colorful world than the idea that we're all supposed to think alike feel alike, look alike, sound alike. Uh, but of course, that takes more work, right? Stereotypes are easy uh, because you don't have to get to know people. <clears throat> so where does it leave uh, people like that? Well, it leaves people shunned, excluded, and feeling like there's something wrong with them and that there's really no place for them and that they have to hide who they are for fear of retribution. And, you know, that's one thing to deal with when you're an adult. Maybe you've got some skills and you've developed some strength and, uh, you know, you maybe develop your own support system. But honest to goodness, if you're just a little kid and all you want to do really is to be able to find friends, have friends, be accepted, play, uh, feel cared for, loved, and, you know, just be able to have a childhood, it's just too much for these kids to have to deal with. It's just too hard for them. We should be trying to make their lives easier, accepting them, reaching out to them, rather than putting them in a situation where they have to hide who they are. It's just too painful for them to have to deal with. Some people uh, that complain about this on social media were complaining about the fact that it said, well, it was it was too young, the grades one to four, you shouldn't be having subject material like this. Uh, and, and as soon as I read that, Theo, the first thing I thought of was that old uh, adage that we've brought out time and time again, that children aren't born with hate and with biases. They learn it. Uh, they learn right. it usually from their parents uh, more often than not and from family yeah. members. Uh, grades one to four seems to me the ideal time to open these 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 discussions up so that they can be open-minded about this and before they, they start to, to get stereotyped and they start getting driven into the same ideological ma- mindset that, that others have about them and around them, whether it's in school or at home. Yeah, you know, and, and, and the point that's often lost on the critics, and again, who haven't read the curriculum, is that the curriculum is graduated so that uh, certain topics are introduced at certain ages when kids are appropriate for kids to be able to have that information, be able to discuss about it. So, you know, they oftentimes act as if all these topics are just flung down in front of great people in grade one who don't have the capacity to really understand, and then will become indoctrinated into thinking a particular way. The education curriculum is designed to be able to meet kids where they're at and give them the tools to be able to deal with and have the right words to use to discuss the feelings that they would have at different times in their lives and give them the tools to help themselves if they are going to be hurt or discriminated, to give them the tools to keep them safe. So, yeah, you know, kids in grades one to four, you're right. They don't come in with the desire to hate people. They're, they come in, they're ready to love, they're ready to be curious, they're ready to be interested. I, mean, I remember my friend, my, when, my, when my son was like, like, I think he was like two, and um, there's not a lot of black people in Port Perry, and my friend Jeff, he's a great guy, 
he came over and spent the weekend with us. He was the first black kid that my son, Zach, had ever seen. So after Jeff left, I asked him, so what did he think about him? He just talked about who he was as a person. Oh, he was fun. He was nice to play with. He, was, he loved the games and stuff. Like that. Never once did he mention the color of his skin. He just focused on the person, you know? So we have kids who are at that age. They're not thinking about discriminating. They're, not think- they're curious. They're legitimately curious and interested in differences and exploring people and finding out what they're like and being able to play with them, get to know them. It's the problem is that we drum that curiosity. We start teaching kids what they're supposed to think, what's right for them to think, how they're supposed to think about some people versus other people. We actually teach that. And one of the things we're doing by removing these kind of plays is we're inadvertently giving them the message that there's a right way to think and there's right people to be friends with and other people's voices shouldn't be heard. So stop being curious. Stop asking those questions. Just do what you're told. Think what we tell you to think. And then they end up in university really not knowing how to learn. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.